Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. My name is John Risky. I too am a member of Epworth along with my family. Good morning, church. Um, Today I'm going to bring you the good word from Luke 21, uh, starting at verse 5. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. 
for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jerry. What an important and beautiful song, especially at this time of year when we say that the veil between this world and the next world is thin. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you in the pulpit and in the sanctuary today and this week. And I'm grateful to Reverend Debbie Weatherspoon, who was here last week and started off this series on R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Crucial Conversations, Conversations in Complexity, with such a beautiful message of, of, um, that was, that was really a, the right one, at least for me, as I heard it, and prepared for the electoral process this week. Uh, she helped us to engage the complexity of our lives these days, and that's what this, this three-week series is struggling with. And so I'm wondering, how was your week? How was your week? Did you feel uh, some turbulence? Did, did you find yourself returning to some of the practices that Debbie shared for staying grounded in self-compassion and recognizing the humanity of another? Well, in addition to our national, state, and local elections, we have also been in church elections, and uh, that's where I was. And, and to Debbie's credit, though, she, uh, she was also in Salt Lake City for a big part of that time. Um, And you might imagine that church elections and that electoral process would be radically different from the secular process. Well, just like secular elections, there's a lot at stake in church elections. Different visions of what the church should be compete. And egos and personalities and past hurts come into play. But shouldn't the church be different, be able to rise above these things, or at least have a different way through them? And what about any of the kinds of conflicts or struggles we find ourselves in as Christians? Are Christians or people of faith and spirit any different than anyone when we find ourselves in these crucial conversations? Last week, Reverend Debbie mentioned that uh, the, the Just Faith group that met in the spring of this year that she and I led and, and that explored our, uh, the different way that our faith offers to engage, quote, situations that generate emotional heat, as our course manual put it. She shared the practice of being able to name a feeling and then identifying the need that underlies the feeling. And she shared that one of the pieces of wisdom that our course material imparted is that everything we do in this world is somehow motivated by a need, whether we are conscious of it or not. In the course, we worked from a list of feelings and needs, which you can also find online, again, at compassioncourse.org. 
There is a difference, of course, between a, situa a situation that generates emotional heat with someone we trust and know we share a vision of the world with and someone with whom trust has been broken or with whom we know we hold different visions of the world we long for. Can we heal or deepen our relationships while also remaining grounded in faith and true to ourselves? So often we think of navigating conflicts and brokenness from an either or perspective. Either I give in to what I don't really believe and what I'm not really comfortable with in order to get along, or I stand my ground and probably forfeit the relationship. But there is a third way. It is a way that is grounded in the world's religious traditions, but is owned by no single tradition. It is the way of Gandhi, of King, of Argentinian Adolfo Perez Esquivel, of Desmond Tutu, of Quaker feminist Barbara Deming, and Sister Joan Chittister, to name a few. It's often referred to as the way of nonviolence, this third way that eschews binaries. It insists that healing requires creativity and that no one is reducible to their mistakes or even the evil that they commit. It asks that means and ends be consistent, and it claims that an us versus them mentality is a distortion of reality. In 1976, Anne McGuire was shopping in Belfast, in Ireland, with three of her children, eight-year-old Joanne, two-year-old John, and six-week-old Andrew. Andrew. It was the time of what is known as the Troubles in Northern Ireland, when bitter divisions and vastly different ideas of what Ireland should be kept Catholics and Protestants apart. Since the 1960s, an irregular war was waged on the streets of Northern Ireland, and violence pervaded the everyday lives of people who lived there. On that day, in 1976, Anne McGuire and her three children were walking on the sidewalk and a car careened onto the pavement where the four of them were. The driver, a member of the Irish Republican Army, had been fatally shot while driving that car by British troops and the car was out of control. The car careened onto the pavement hitting the four of them, and with two, within two days, three of the children had died. A witness to this tragic event, Betty Williams, felt that there had to be a new way to be together. She began immediately organizing a march, which then uh, passed by the home of Anne's sister, Mary Ed McGuire, the children's aunt. Mary had joined the march and quickly became partners with Betty, and within a month, they had become leaders of a spontaneous movement, bringing 35,000 into the streets, demanding a new way of peace. 
After the tragedy, it would have been easy and certainly publicly supported to sink back into the divisions present in Northern Ireland at the time. But Maguire, inspired by nonviolent activist brothers Philip and Daniel Berrigan and Dorothy Day, refused to accept a binary of rage and revenge on the one hand or debilitating grief on the other. Instead, she committed herself to a new way of living, a third way. In many respects, Maguire was new to the practices of nonviolence, but she's committed her life since that time to this practice, and she has now said about the way she embraces. This is a daring, creative, and courageous way of living, and it is the only hope for the world. Nonviolence applies the force of love and truth as a means to transform conflict and the root causes of conflict. Nonviolence demands creativity. It pursues dialogue, seeks reconciliation, listens to the truth in our opponents. It allows God's spirit to transform us socially and politically. In 1980, Williams and Maguire were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. In our scripture today from Luke, we encounter Jesus speaking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Those listening to him are horrified, not believing that such a tragedy of this sacred place would occur. The destruction of this sacred place could lead to the desire for retaliation and for revenge. And Jesus names that insurrections and wars will come, as well as arrests and persecutions, but that those who follow him are called not to return blow for blow, not to meet violence with violence. This will give you an opportunity to testify, he says. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. When you are confronted with a situation that generates emotional heat, are you able to listen to the words of the other? Or are you half listening and half preparing your next defense? Hear these words from Jesus again. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. One of the practices in our crucial conversations group was to listen fully, refraining from formulating our comeback while we listened. We're conditioned by our culture to, to offer snappy, sometimes snarky, but definitely quick retorts. But the third way asks us to slow it down, to ask for the time and space to listen fully, and then when we do answer, to let the words and wisdom of Jesus flow through us. In Salt Lake City last week at the United Methodist Jurisdictional Conference, as we took ballot after ballot with no election, something important began to dawn on our body. We were moving too fast. We were preparing our defense in advance about the church we wanted as we half listened to our siblings. 
Though we hoped to follow God's will, the pace of our business wasn't allowing us to get into God's flow. And so we stopped the proceedings. If you were watching the live stream of the conference, the live stream stopped. This technique is called the power of the pause. When things are going off the rails, it is okay to stop, to pause. Throughout scripture, we see Jesus invoking the power of the pause. And so that's what we did in Salt Lake City. We spoke, we paused, we turned off the live stream, we spoke truth to each other, we confessed where we had fallen short of our ethic of unconditional love and treating everyone like a child of God. We moved out of the either-or binary of voting yes or voting no and found a third way. Amazingly, when we came back the next morning, we had about 12 hours to elect three people, and things went so much more smoothly. We affirmed to each other this simple truth, I will know that you love me when my name is safe in your mouth. As the conference proceeded, were we perfect? No, (laughs) because human beings are not perfect. But we remembered that we follow a God who came to us as one of us to remind us that living is a practice. It's a daily walk of returning again and again to a way we know to be the one that leads to life, not death. Our crucial conversations small group manual began with these words. Many of us might worry that it's not possible to maintain healthy relationships with those who vehemently oppose our most fundamental values. And it's true, these practices cannot promise to magically erase deep wounds in our families or our marriages or our congregations or our nation. What these practices can offer us are tools for navigating tough conversations with the same love and authenticity that Jesus modeled for us so that we might seek justice more effectively and restore the ties that bind us together as God's people. Difficult conversations, interpersonal challenges, and situations that generate emotional heat happen. What we hope as people of faith is to keep growing and learning, to lean into our spiritual practices and wisdom, the wisdom of our tradition, to find a third way that navigates these places differently. I'm grateful for the many ways that our congregation does that and circles back around to try again when we don't do that. May we remember that needs underlie feelings. May we know that healing requires creativity. May we invoke the power of the pause as we seek to evermore be the people who walk in the way of Jesus, the way that leads to life. Amen. I've heard it said that people come into our lives for a reason 
Bringing something we must learn And we are led To those who help us most to grow If we let them And we help them in return Well, I don't know if I believe that's true But I know I'm who I am today because I knew you Like a comet pulled from orbit As it passes a sun Like a stream that meets a boulder Halfway through the wood Who can say if I've been changed for the better But because I knew you I have been changed for good It will maybe that we will never meet again in this lifetime So let me say before we part so much of me is made of what I learned from you. You'll be with me like a handprint on my heart. And now, whatever way our stories end, I know you have rewritten mine by being my friend. Like a ship blown from its mooring by a wind off the sea like a seed dropped by a skybird in a distant wood who can say if i've been changed for the better but because i knew you because i knew you i have been changed for just to clear the air I ask forgiveness for the things I've done you blame me for but then I guess we know there's blame to share and none of it seems to matter anymore like a comet pulled from orbit as it passes a sun like a stream that meets a boulder halfway through the wood who can say if i've been changed for the better i do believe i have been changed for the better because i knew you
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Thank you.